Welcome to the Impact Sessions, a business podcast hosted by me, Nick Bramley, CEO and Director of Impact at Impactus Group. The Impact Sessions brings you weekly insights and experiences from some of my most valued, trusted and influential business contacts across a range of current, interesting and hopefully thought-provoking subjects designed to give you some practical tips and ideas to drive continued success in your business. So, on today's episode, I've got the pleasure of talking to Claire Morley-Jones. She's the Managing Director of HR 180. And we're talking about all things HR that make it much more than operational and can have a real impact on your business. Hope you enjoy the podcast. So, delighted today to welcome one of my long-standing associates and business friends, Claire Morley-Jones. Claire's the Managing Director of HR 180, and it says on the website for your HR 180 business, Claire, HR support and strategic consultancy branded as one half of the partnership. Indeed. So, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, and thank you for not calling us HR weighty, which tends to be the Yorkshire way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm slightly northeast of that, so maybe I've got away <laughs> with it from the accent point of view. So, um, I'd just like to run through a, a few questions, really, that hopefully the audience will... I'll, I'll get some inspiration, some thought process around your kind of area of expertise, Claire, if that's okay. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so let's start with, obviously your business has been uh, long established. I'd class it as what I call a great business. It's got a real uh, energy to it. It's got a real sort of brand about it. Um, Thank you. And you work with loads of companies of different types and sizes. Um, why do you say an organisation or company should consider an external HR consultancy and uh, to support them? What's the reasoning that people would choose that kind of uh, support mechanism? I think there's a few reasons for that, um, particularly for SMEs. So an SME predominantly usually can't afford their own full-time HR manager. Mm -hmm. um, so that's normally number one. It's about cost efficiency. Number two is that our job is to constantly be up to date with right. not just the law, so mm. the law is changing, so that's operational HR, but also with the latest thinking in terms of how you reward and motivate people, um, you know, how you deliver succession planning, you have talent management in your business, mm. that is our job. Um, and so we have to really know how to actually apply that, whereas somebody internal tends to end up involved in a lot of operational matters and um, perhaps having a queue outside their door of people whinging at them rather than actually adding value to the organization all right okay and then the third thing i think is that we're completely objective you know we we uh, don't necessarily know all of the people intimately mm -hmm. um and so we can be that sounding board really i guess in terms of does this make sense am i overreacting you know what do you think we should do would we be setting a precedent so all those kinds of things i think those are the top three really okay so that's quite interesting in terms of um looking at how people would potentially value the services that that, that you would provide and, a, and an external consultancy would provide i guess outsourcing is one of those um quite a common business model isn't it people outsource uh, it people outsource you know uh, whatever it might be yep. do you not class yourselves as outsource partner then um it depends i think um i think everybody knows what they're getting mm -hmm. when they outsource their it so yes. they know that their systems and their network and everything else will still be up to date i think when it comes to hr people think that outsourcing is um either just admin 
So wow. process management and making sure that new starters have contracts of employment and offer letters and DBS checks. Mm. Um, or they think of somebody, um, in fact, I won't mention any names, but they think of a contact centre, basically, where they're pretty much told that they're not allowed to do anything. Right. And they don't actually get an extra pair of hands invested in their business. Those contact centre environments, they can't possibly have the expertise and knowledge in there anyway, because no. they're just... Uh, like say a number, somebody answering the phone, looking at a script and potentially answering a question with with a scripted answer. That's not yep. what you're about at all, no, is it? No, it's not. And also, those people don't know the business. Mm. You know, we are. We say we're one half of the partnership because we're actually part of the business. So people don't internally they wouldn't refer to us as HR one eighty. They literally would just say HR. We yeah. talk to HR or they're the name of their actual HR business partner. Um, we would be. Uh, if we aren't able to go to board meetings, then we'd definitely be part of senior management team meetings. Mm. Um, we'd regularly be on site, so we'd know every employee in the main. Um, so it's very different to a contact centre where you have to obviously repeat yourself 15 times yeah. as to what the scenario is. You know, we're, we're managing the whole thing, okay. so we know it intimately. It's quite different. So are your team allocated then as kind of the key contact within an organisation? So I would get, you know, certain the same team member would be my HR manager officer whatever job title people choose to have on that basis yeah absolutely so with us you get two people right um so you would have your HR business partner Mm -hmm. who's the person who yes will deal with high level operational issues but is also working strategically so they're looking at the talent management and the succession planning and culture and vision and values and those sorts of things and making sure that reward structures reward the right behaviors for example um and then you'll also have an HR assistant who who's dealing with first level operational managers and um, supporting with in terms of admin as well. Okay. So making sure those offer letters and contracts do go out, you know, okay. the boring bit, unfortunately. But you get a bit of resilience there then, don't you? As a client, then it's not just reliance on somebody who, you know, what if they're on holiday, they're not well, or they actually try to choose to move on or whatever. But you don't lose many of your staff, do you? Because it's a great nope. place to work, isn't it? I still have one of my original employees with me. So she is, uh, it will be 10 years in October. Excellent. Yeah, 5th of October, she'll have been with me 10 years um we just had laura go off on maternity leave she's been with me seven seven and a half and the same so yeah we we do keep our people um and so the client has continuity and consistency we also we don't let teams of people be off together Mm. so the client knows that there's always either their assistant or their partner in unless you know unless there's an emergency sickness or something okay no worries so I look at HR and I look at it from a, a perspective of, of, of sort of risk management. Uh, the question I've got for you, I guess, is, well, <laughs> you know, controversial or otherwise. In your experience, where do most people in organisations create risk around how they manage their people or engage with their teams? Um, they don't treat people as they would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. They bury their head in the sand and pretend that the situation doesn't exist. Right. They don't seek expert support. Um, they read ACAS, <laughs> the ACAS website, right. and don't interpret it correctly. Uh, or they speak to that bloke down the pub. There's always a bloke down the pub. There's always a bloke down the pub yeah. who's got an opinion on everything, whether yeah. it's HR or football teams or how to manage whatever it might be. And the bloke down the pub's a dangerous kind of critical friend because mm. they're not particularly a friend, are they, in that no. respect? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so risk, risk does happen on that basis, yeah. yeah. They don't plan uh, uh, for the future. I think they're not, um, I think especially with SMEs, uh, in a larger organisation, you have quite a few resources open to you. And so mm. those resources can get on and do their jobs, but they could also potentially be working on other projects. In an SME, everybody has their head 
to the grindstone um, and is getting on actually delivering and there isn't that spare capacity for planning and, and looking more strategically at the organisation, where it's going to grow, where it needs additional resource in the future, what does that resource look like, do we have anybody internally who might be able to deliver that role can we promote them? Can we work? Can we be working with them now so that in two years' time they're ready to step up? I and think that's the key, the isn't day. it? The key, the key is there about you know having that vision of saying we have the we have the talent, but we haven't got the plan. Yeah. And if and and therefore the talent never gets promoted because when they need the gap filling, they'll go externally to marketplace. So the talent gets sort of brassed off and decides to leave and thinking I could have done that job if you'd invested in me. So. The external perspective then, is that what you, is that something, that seems like a real value add to me. I hate the phrase value add, but it does sound like it's a, a genuine kind of additional value to the to the business. Yeah, it, absolutely, because it's helping strategically. There's no point having a plan, even if that's a plan on the back of a fag packet, yeah, yeah. if you have no idea how you're actually going to make that plan come to fruition. And mm. you, you know, you don't get the best result from either yourself, the business or the people in it without being able to show them and guide them as to what the ultimate vision is and where mm -hmm. you're heading and where you're going and motivating them towards that um whereas you can do that if you took i mean it doesn't have to take long you know we're talking a couple of hours yeah. to think about what does that look like and then how do we bring everybody along on that journey with us okay the um succession plan is one area of that i think but you, i'm going to take you back to something you mentioned earlier about strategic and um, if you go to board meetings or don't go to board meetings. So I work with lots of organisations. You know, I work with big corporates, I work with medium-sized organisations, and I work with SMEs and, and, and people who are kind of aspiring to grow. And you rarely see HR as a board-level appointment in those you know, mature organisations. So um, that must be frustrating. But is there anything else about that subject that, you, you know, why is that the case? Because it's really important to the business, surely. Um, I, I think it's really important to the business. Uh, you don't have a business if you don't have people to deliver. So if you have a business that sells product, you have to get that product out to your consumers. If you have a service, a, a knowledge-based business, then your people need to deliver the knowledge in order to, to have your customers. So I don't understand why HR is not on the board, um, because it should be uh, in order to make sure that everybody everything is in the right direction. Mm. But... You know, people think about marketing, they think about finance, they think about everything, but who is actually making their business work? Yeah, or, um, or not work. Or not case, work, right? yeah. yes, absolutely, in in a large number of circumstances. Okay. And, and there are organisations that literally just do put up with very poor behaviour or conduct or... Um, uh, underperformance because they just they don't know how to deal with it and they don't understand how they should be moving that person either towards performing or obviously um, exiting the, the organization from an operational point of view but from a strategic point of view then without your people knowing whether they have the right skills in the right places at the right times whether they're motivated rewarded and and you know when I talk about reward it really doesn't have to be big it can literally be a thank you. A recognition, a, a sort of pat on the yeah. back and, a, 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 and yeah. Yeah, just the fact that someone's seen you do something positive or effective kind of thing. Yeah, but <clears> you'll <throat> find in every organisation that some teams do that amazingly because mm. the manager is on it because they're that kind of, you know, they have an, a, a great level of interpersonal ability and 
team awareness and so they'll say thank you regularly and then you'll have other teams where that's just not the natural behavior of the leader so what mechanism is there in in the organization to make sure that that's consistent Um, and HR on the board obviously can help with those things if we understand for example that you are about to look at acquiring I don't know two other businesses in the next two years we know now that we need to work really carefully on this culture so that we have everything that we need to be able to translate that to a new business mm-hmm. we need to do due diligence we might have to do tupi so on and so forth you know so without understanding the strategy of the organization HR actually can't be effective which well, is why they should be on the which board. is which is why you become an operational function rather than a strategic yeah. function and that that's the frustration I guess in some and half cases. the time not really a genuine operational for some mm. you know it's a policing function yeah and and unfortunately i have met a few hr professionals recently where it is literally policing rather than practical commercial well people can use their common sense you know we don't have to make sure that absolutely everything is ticked off on a checklist mm. when somebody starts with us for example yeah you know um and, and then no one values a policing function, do they? Not really. No. no. Co- compliance, Doesn't add any value. Complice, yeah, compliance, policing, they're also viewed with suspicion, aren't they? Yeah. In, in, internally. So yep. HR then would, I guess, would become, you only go to HR if there's a problem rather than HR being an advisory piece. Definitely. Going back to what you said about, you know, say a company's got a, a plan to acquire a couple of other organisations, it's also really important, I guess, to work on the culture of the people who are already there because yep. they're going to have a lot of people don't like change a lot of people they don't do they a lot of people are nervous of change change going to be a bad thing um and the phrase i use a lot when i'm dealing with people is misery also likes company so <laughs> you know you don't need a lot of people do you to be negative to suddenly start culturally this this is only going to be a bad thing yep. so where would something like hr 180 impact on that kind of level of um cultural improvement or awareness then if there's a a big change in the offing um so we would normally start with looking at what do we already have and Mm -hmm. then we would go on to talking to the people um (laughs) unfortunately lots of people do the whole culture vision values you know who are we um from the top down so you know the the managing director thinks well this is my business and therefore it is created in my image and therefore it looks this way and either you conform to that or you go basically um so hr 180 normally works bottom up Mm. so we would work with the team initially to look at what does good look like Mm. here you know what makes you successful in this organization how can we replicate that um and so we would put that together and put a big big document together unfortunately and but then make sure that that is translated so does all of those things come across in induction Right. Okay. Is it in recruitment? How do you recruit your people? Do you recruit them on the basis that, um, oh, they've been a very good developer over here? Or do you recruit them on the fact that they're a great team worker and they can train everyone in the team on their development ability? Mm. So do you look at character or do you look at just skills? So we look at the recruitment process, then induction. How do you induct somebody into the organization to make sure that they already understand the values? And the other reason why you need to have culture really strong from the beginning have a really great understanding of it from the beginning is because then you can communicate it as part of the recruitment process and then people self-select right so you don't have to drop people out of the system they decide whether they want to be part of it or not Mm. and so this is why we have some smes who have 
no budget in comparison with a corporate, but because they've been very clear about the type of person that they want and why that person should be excited at coming to work for them, they can get somebody you know, returning home to Yorkshire who's been down in London for the last five years and has got completely sick of it and will take a massive pay cut because they get these particular things and a great environment to work in and a team that they enjoy working with. So we look at all those things, the recruitment of the people, the induction, then how do we reward them? How do we recognise them? Does that, is that just on the basis of KPIs and objectives, actual tangible stuff? Mm. Or is it to do with us and who we are and how we feel about each other and and the impact so, we make in our team environment yeah. that kind of thing okay. yeah absolutely is it is it a once a year performance review or, or apr process that doesn't mean very much or is it a regular thing that's happening you know to make sure that we're taking care of our people and we would do that all the way through um and get that really clear in the in the first 12 to 18 months of of the organization as it is on its own and then as we acquire others it's already there so it's embedded everybody can feel it's a tangible thing Mm. i don't know how it becomes tangible but it does yeah if you can feel it it's tangible the the evolution to get there is slightly hard to quantify i guess um in in terms of uh, uh looking at that one of the areas um, that's very, very prevalent at the moment is mental health awareness, for example. Um, and it's a, it's a really important subject. It has been forever, but it's now got a lot more traction, I guess. It's got more publicity, social media, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yet you still see some people, some people embrace the, the need to be uh, on board with that and to be doing it right and, and putting training in place and all that kind of thing. And others still look at it and go, mm, you know, so what, you know? How do you deal with the resistance people have to doing the right thing? You know, where people are treated as a commodity rather than treated as an asset. Because how do you deal with that from a from an external perspective? Do you know what? We're actually really lucky that we work with some phenomenal people for whom that isn't an issue. Right. Uh, mainly because they self-select on the basis of our brand. <laughs> so I, I guess so somebody they're... somebody who is who is culturally. Um, ingrained negatively yeah wouldn't, wouldn't choose to work with you because no, they'd fit. look at our website and think that it's not bland and boring and tick boxy enough and and so they wouldn't engage our services yeah. um i think in a corporate world um it's a talking uh i think shop is possibly the wrong word but mm. it's a talking point yeah um the reason why in a corporate world that still isn't actually working is because they do still treat people as numbers mm. in boxes rather than as individuals um smes are much better at that because they you know the the md or the directors or the senior management team really know every single person and are engaging and interacting with them on a daily basis they probably probably know their wider family network and they probably know their sort of personal circumstances a lot more as well don't they really but the genuine care there's no reason why you can't care in a corporate but i guess you, you the impact of that caring is less isn't it yeah. across the overall individual team. managers care yes absolutely and individual team members care about each other mm. but it's more difficult for a large corporate with so many people to mm. treat treat everyone as individuals okay. um but then you know hr doesn't help with that as well because sometimes hr will say uh, well, everybody must be treated identically. Right. Actually, people mm. don't need to be treated identically. That's the opposite for what needs to happen. They need to be treated fairly so that it, there is equality across the organisation um, and parity between different individuals. 
Um, but they they actually need something that's unique to them and their own circumstances because they are a unique individual. That's a really interesting take because you would look, wouldn't you, that, that there is this whole sort of um, agenda piece where equality means the same. Yeah, no. But that's a really interesting take on it. Equality just means being fair to everyone in the same way. Is that, that yeah. that's a... Yeah, that's an interesting take on that, really, because equality usually in the in the eyes of the listener or the viewer would say equality means we're all the same. Yeah, no, it doesn't. We all, and that's to be celebrated. Why would we all Absolutely. want to be the same? And <laughs> um, the world would be incredibly boring yeah. or horrendous if it were filled with mini me's. But um... well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, Claire. But it would it would be quite a noisy world if you it and would. I were the only types Absolutely. of stereotype that we had in there, wouldn't it? Really, I <laughs> <Yeah>. guess. <laughs> so okay. Um, HR and people and management leads to leadership, okay? So mm-hmm. I'd be interested in the years that you've been doing what you do, leadership, business, cultures, etc. Um, what's been the best example of where you've seen real leadership in action and the impact that might have had on an organisation? You know, where, whether it's cultural or operational, you've just said they've got that right. Can you just share with the listeners and the viewers a, a bit about kind of good examples of leadership communication that kind of thing Mm. um so i think that this one would be a a client whereby they bought ultimately bought the business from their brother um so it was a family-run business it had been for a long period of time the younger brother had worked under the older brother very well Mm. um for a number of years and and then started as the younger brother increased their own learning and got out in the world a bit more and saw things, um, suddenly realised that actually that the way the older brother was running the business wasn't what he wanted to be part of. And so said, either I leave or I buy you out, what would you like? Um, so the older brother said, well, actually, I just want rid of all this rubbish and to have all the all responsibility. These people. Yeah. All these people, get yeah. them off my desk, yeah. Well, the reason why he wanted all those people off his desk was because he was exceedingly autocratic. And so nobody was able to take a decision at all. Right. And they queued outside his office on a morning to take their problems to him wow. so that he would issue a, a final verdict on what should happen, basically. So in the end, nobody came with solutions because he would pick his own way anyway. So the the management team, who were actually very capable, had never been given the opportunity to explore that capability or their potential or anything. They were really quite downtrodden. So no decision-making no process decision-making. at all, literally... No here's what we've got, here are the options, what should I do, boss? Yeah, basically, wow. yeah. And and woe betide that you made a decision on your own without having got it checked first. You mm. know, massive blame culture, terrible, wow. terrible blame culture. Um, and so ivory towers, nobody shared information. It, it, it was horrendous. Anyway, younger brother was completely different. He'd had a number of different experiences in life um, and done some leadership training um, I can't remember which college he went to, but basically he'd gone yeah. and, and done some. Um, and it didn't happen overnight. These things never do. But the atmospheric change was palpable mm. on the day that he took over. There was trepidation, but also a certain mute level of excitement that built. What, within the business? Or within the business, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he held, oh gosh, I cannot tell you, literally, I don't think it was daily, but at least every other day, 
quick briefs with the entire team. You know, there's 170 people in this team. Wow. Did a daily call mm. whereby anybody in the organization could dial into the call and he would take questions. He would explain what was going on and what had happened since the last call. So communication was really, really key. Mm. Um, put massive leadership development um, programs in place for all of the senior management team as quickly as possible and coaching. Um, there were one or two people who couldn't step up well, to that process. Yeah, the, it's not not if you've been ingrained in the fact that thou shalt not make a decision, and you've yeah. been there a number of years. It might be very alien and and actually impossible for some people to move out of that sort of uh, that box. Really. So, I guess that's that's a regrettable sort of set of circumstances. But culturally, the business will have been better off as a yeah. result of that, was it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and to be fair, you know, there was because we knew it would take time for those individuals to come out of their shells, mm. experiment, make mistakes yeah. and not get blamed for them <laughs> and then learn that they could, you know, carry on, that they could have innovation, that they could have a level of creativity and autonomy to make decisions themselves. You know, everybody was given, we said we would do nothing for at least 18 to to 24 mm. months yeah. and then after that only after having provided a full raft of support see who had the, the capability so who's who going to step up to who's 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 on board yeah. who who wants to be and, yeah. who, and actually sometimes people might just say the culture's changed i'm no longer a fit for that culture and that yeah. that's a good thing from their stress levels and things as yeah. well isn't it yeah absolutely i've got a client who's got a sign on his door he's an md of a business very successful business and he's got a sign on his door and it says i'm i'm paraphrasing a little bit stop do you know the answer before you ask me the question. And I think it's genius because he said he used to get people traipsing up and saying, what should I do here, boss? What should I do there, boss? And he'd say, well, his answer was, what are the options? And first of all, he'd say, well, um, I've come to you because I don't know what the options are. He'd say, well, go and work out what the options are and then come back to me with the solution. And it, it took a while for them to get into that habit. But now no one comes. No one yeah, comes with a problem. No. They come with a solution or they come with an idea, but they're not coming to him with the operational, oh, uh, I've got to ask my boss. And he said, uh, I stopped answering questions for three months for the people I knew they know the answer. And then I put the sign up. He said, stop. If you know the answer, don't ask the question. Yeah. And he said, at first, people were like going, who do you think, you know, who do you think he is sat there pretending he, you know, he's in his ivory tower? It was actually the exact opposite reason he did that. So yeah. I'm always interested how people deal with communication and, and leadership and those kind of things, really. Okay. But if the leader has to answer every question, they actually don't have a viable or sustainable business, do no. they? Well, no, so because then be if they're not there, they're not there. Just the, the inertia and stagnation and things. Okay. Um, you've got a great settled team at HR1H. We've touched on that already. Um how and why do you think that is? And what lessons does that offer your clients as examples to follow? What do you do right that you can say without saying, you know, do as I do, do as I say, but what you're a shining example of, of a small, a small, medium-sized business that just doesn't have any problems in, in attracting and retaining the right staff. I'm sure you probably do on a day-to-day basis, but you know, give us an example of, of what lessons you can transfer to others on that basis. I think I one of the reasons for setting up the business was that I wanted to show that you could run a business differently and that it was um, two people buying into an employment relationship, not you buying someone's skills. All right. Um, So it was important to me that that was two way and that people were invested in the business and 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 what we could achieve together. 
Um, and so <laughs> I was joking earlier today, it's Laura's birthday today, so we had birthday cake. Um, and of I was course joking you did. Today, ev- of, course of course you did. we did. You got HR on 18s, yeah. always and cake. And there's always cake. Good coffee. Good coffee as well. Good coffee and, and always cake, cake. yeah. yeah. Um, and that is one of the very big secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we were all joking. Everybody knows that it's actually Ange that runs the company and I literally am at the bottom and yeah. everyone else is on top of me. In, in fact, even the dogs come before I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that everybody wants to be part of something and feel part of something. And we've created a family that mm. isn't just work. I mean, it's a work family yeah. rather than a blood family. But, but it because means it's a work something. family, not a blood family, it's not dysfunctional like a lot of blood families might well, be. Well, we have our moments, <laughs> obviously. We have our moments. But, um, you know, we will all pull together. One of our team members was um, unfortunately leaving her husband. Every single team member, even if they could only make it for half an hour, came to help move her out of her house into her new rented property. Yeah. Which is quite um, stressful for yep. that person on a personal level, yep. uh, which it must have been great for a, you know, to see her, the investment her colleagues are put into that relationship just to help yep. out, I guess, really. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Brought boyfriends, partners, everything to carry furniture. Excellent. And, and nobody thought anything of it. We've had um, Kim this year run our family day. So she took responsibility for the entire thing and it went amazingly. We bring everybody's family in once a year. Wow. Um, to this year it was for a barbecue. Yeah. Um, and uh, all kinds of little activities and things for the kids. So the entire family descends on HR 180. Um, Molly, we do a lot for community as yes. well. Give um, us an example of what you do because you, you, you're in a unique position of a... Uh, where the office is based, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's a converted barn building. You've got fantastic fields for the dogs to run, et cetera, et cetera. And the people. Um, and the people. Yeah. But yeah, actually, <laughs> I was thinking about the, the dogs will enjoy the fields. I'm not sure the people probably do as well. But what's the um, so what's the community itself? Because you are slightly isolated from you're not right in the centre of a town or a city or whatever so give us an example of what you're doing there then um so this year we one of the things we've done we're literally about to run another event um but this year we um in april we raised money for martin house hospice which is at boston spa so literally like two miles away on the doorstep yeah yeah. absolutely who do amazing work obviously i'm sure most people have heard of them um and we did a cake away Mm. um and basically we sold pieces of cake between the team at that time of us there were 10 we made uh 500 pieces of cake and we raised 1202 pounds excellent um many of our clients we had pre-orders so we had 23 boxes (laughs) pre-ordered before the actual day and then we sold the rest of it either in weatherby we went around every estate in weatherby selling cake or actually on park hill itself right so it was amazing people and um it did something really good for the charity um, but it also really brought the team together because obviously everybody was talking about recipes and what they were going to make and getting it all organised and buying ingredients and we were all taking pictures and sending them to each other. Yeah. So well, social media is brilliant for that as well, isn't yeah. it? In terms of you know sort of visuals of whatever. And, and I, I actually don't get the Great British Bake Off as a concept for TV <laughs> because you can't smell it. You can't taste it. I just do not understand how millions of people watch people making cake. But at least in your sense, you can get to taste the cake, can't you? Oh, yeah. I bought a lot of my own cake. (laughs) So I guess the takeaway from the podcast is, uh, in terms of HR, looking after your staff is, you'll learn to bake, 
bake a variety <laughs> and make sure it's good quality cake. Would that be fair? I think it's more about make sure people are involved in something. Ah, so okay. yeah, there is cake always. Doesn't have to be. It doesn't. There doesn't have to be. So they're involved and they have the opportunity to make a difference as part of their job. And so we do that for clients all the time, which yeah. is great. Um, but then to be able to also do that for the community and for each other as well. I think people like to have a purpose in life and feel good about what they have to offer um, and how they've used their skills. Mm. Um, so it's harnessing that, isn't it, really, yeah. in a workplace and yeah. making sure that they feel entirely immersed and confident in the fact that they've chosen the right place to, to, to spend what is effectively about a third of their time you know, on, a, on an eight-hour, eight-hour, eight-hour basis, really. So uh, it needs to be that. So, Claire, that's been absolutely fascinating. It's been brilliant to catch up with you again. Um, I'm looking forward to your next event. I'm trying to be on a health kick, but I think cake will probably uh, defeat me. So, you just um, need pound coins. Exactly, a yes. Lot. A lot of pound coins for the fundraising, <laughs> etc. So, Claire, Claire Molly-Jones from HR 180, thank you for being a guest on the podcast. and thank you for uh, having me. Your contact details will be on the end for people to contact you to see if they um, would want to improve their culture, their strategy, and not just their operational HR. Thanks very much. Thank you.